brought to you by Vivid Learning Systems and the Health and Safety Institute. Episode number 18. My name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer, and today I'm joined by Rick Kalinga, Senior Director of Safety, Health, and Loss Prevention for Simmons Foods in Arkansas. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, for full disclosure, Rick and I have known one another in the safety field for, geez, Rick, what do you think? Maybe something like eight years? Eight, ten years, yeah, thereabouts. Some, something like that when we had a, a, a common meeting in our jobs around uh, specifically then the poultry industry. Yep. Um, Rick, you're a little bit familiar with the podcast at this point, and you know that our central theme is around how did we how did we accidentally find ourselves in this field? And so I'm, I'm interested to hear your story because you've been at this a while now, haven't you? Yes, ma'am. Almost 30 plus years. Whoa. Whoa. So well, what's the story? How did you, I mean, you're, you're in Arkansas. Have you always been um, from Arkansas or what got you into this? So I actually started working for a company called Harker's Foods. Uh, in Northwest Iowa, hmm. um, way, 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 way long ago, back in 1985. Mm-hmm. And I started working on the production floor. And mm-hmm. I was, uh, my first job was actually marinating uh, chicken strips. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I worked my way through up, the, uh, up through the ranks and uh, got myself into management. And my last job in management uh, was what they termed at the time, uh, a production supervisor on second shift. Anyways, I was taking a supper break one night and I was thumbing through the local newspaper and I saw an ad for a position called um, the Iowa uh, Safety Manager position for Harker's Foods, which hmm. at, at, at the time was part of Tyson Foods. We had been acquired in 1989 by Tyson Foods. Anyway, so I called the next day, and luckily I did because that was actually the last day that the uh, position was going to be posted, and that already had several applicants. And so I threw my hat into the ring and through a series of several interviews, was fortunate enough to get into into the position, and I I was doing safety over three production plants. So, Rick, when you're sitting at dinner that night in the plant and you read the ad for safety, what made you even think that, like, did you know what that meant? Or were you just thinking, like, what's my next move going to be? Like, how did you decide that was what you're going to go after? Well, so I had been part of, uh, I guess, what's considered now the emergency action or emergency response team. We did hazmat and incipient fire response as as well as first aid and CPR responder. And I'd always been intrigued by that, and I thought that, and I thought it was something that was very worthwhile and helpful mm-hmm. to not only the company, but more importantly, the, to the folks that uh, were on my line and in my, in the the plant and the company that I worked in. So I thought, you know what, this is something definitely to explore. Huh, cool. Yeah. And so you're, you you landed the job. You've got three facilities. Is that what you said? Yes, ma'am. And, and so what did, what did that, what did, was that like a rude awakening or were you energized by it? What was, I mean, you'd been in one facility and all of a sudden you have three in a totally different job. Yeah. So the, the, uh, and I don't know how common this is nowadays. I don't think it's very common this, 
anymore, but back then my training consisted of 15-minute discussion, a one-five-minute discussion with my <laughs> boss, and he handed me the two CFR books and said, let me know if you need anything. Oh, whoa. Had, and, you, ever, had you ever seen the <laughs> CFR books before? No, and so I found out later why, and that was because we had been obviously bought by Tyson Foods, and Tyson uh, had a, a fairly mature at the time uh, safety program and process, and the three plants I was with had never had one. It oh, was wow. always it was always done by the HR manager as part of their job responsibility, mm-hmm. and again as part of it. So mm-hmm. obviously it was put to the back burner several times. But anyways, right. that that was my uh, my awakening awakening, and then when I went to some of the Tyson training for safety folks, I was like absolutely blown away by first of all, the amount of knowledge that they all had, and second of all, the amount of work that they did. And it actually helped me go ahead and focus on things that I uh, did not have or the three plants did not have. And and initially it started out almost completely just on the compliance side because we didn't have anything. Yeah, so literally it was the CFRs. Yep. Yeah. And so did, did, were those, were were your counterparts with Tyson, were they helpful to you with that? time or did they go whoa this guy's so over his head and (laughs) like did anybody reach a hand out and go i'm gonna help you (laughs) so we were part of the what what was back then called the uh beef and pork division Mm -hmm. um and there were a couple other safety folks in that same uh division they reached out to me and and helped me out and provided me some templates to go with uh and i actually leaned on them quite a bit to say hey how what do you think to give me yeah. their interpretations and their solutions, but also the corporate staff was very helpful as well. They, they were available to me. I had my first ocean inspection, I think within the first four or five months, oh, wow. we had had an incident that actually happened before I started, which may have, uh, helped drive getting the, Get position. the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And OSHA came in and it was a, for an amputation. Hmm. So, but they helped me out and it turned out actually fairly well. Yeah. So you were really starting from scratch. You said you were working on templates. You're trying to get written programs in place, maybe for the first time or ones that were acceptable and doing training too. Yes, ma'am. I mean, the the first one I did was lockout tagout. Well, it was a good, important one to pick in a yep. in a processing plant. And then it went into HASCOM. Bloodborne pathogens had just come out. Process yeah. safety management was still um, being discussed. It wasn't even out there yet. I mean, it was it was a brave new world to just put it that way. <laughs> no kidding. So, when did you feel like you got your sea legs? <laughs> Uh, actually, I still don't have my sea legs, quite frankly. <laughs> right? That was like yeah. a trick question because yeah. I know I, I say the same thing. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and that's one thing I know for all the folks that may be listening, that's mm-hmm. critical, and that is you're never, never uh, have your sea legs, and you always have to learn. And that's one thing I've I've learned myself through some painful experiences where you just think you got it nailed down and all of a sudden boom something else happens that you never anticipated yeah so yeah Yeah, I mean it's it's the it's a double-edged sword for our practice right I mean it's like it's what keeps well some of us at least for me engaged is the constant learning and the ability to be always learning if that's your thing and you like that and it keeps you humble too (laughs) oh definitely that's for sure yeah. So what what happened what happened next? Your 
you have these you have these three these three plants you're just getting started what's the what's the what's the process what happened next with you so uh tyson had a department called uh loss control and it focused on fire and ammonia response Mm. so i was called uh, by one of the folks in arkansas asking if i would be interested in applying and i'm Mm. like okay Mm -hmm. um and i applied but then um at the time i wasn't where to where i could actually move so Mm -hmm. because it was down in arkansas Um, And so they hired somebody else. And about six months later, that person apparently didn't work out. And so they called me again. Mm -hmm. And this time I said, okay, I'll go down there and and take a look and uh, interviewed. And I was successful. And I relocated down to Arkansas (laughs) and became their corporate loss control uh, coordinator, I guess. That's what it was called at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, And my responsibility then was uh, focusing on hazardous material response, uh, fire prevention, and incipient stage fire force response, Mm -hmm. permit required confined space entry, and respiratory protection. Wow, I can't believe you remember all that. Yeah, I mean, it it seems like it was yesterday, but that's... (laughs) Right? And I was was just traveling around the country uh, doing doing classes on each one of those subjects. Uh, Basically, that was my full-time job. I mean, and that's a lot of that's a lot of subjects too, and none of them are small. And specifically, the ammonia one was that had PSM been passed by that time, and so you're trying to be a student of that too. So PSM came had just come out, and actually, it still wasn't even being enforced when I started. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tyson was I was glad that they did this. They actually had in their engineering group uh, PSM um, department. Which, which at the time only included one person. Yeah, and, I mean, but but so necessary. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. and it and it grew from there, obviously. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I did. I did. I would do week one week long classes. I would fly out on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Get done Friday afternoon. Fly home, do my laundry, pack my bag, and head out again. And I did that probably yeah, three three weeks a month for six years six or seven years whoa rick that's a long time oh yeah i i got my fill of uh training <laughs> and travel yeah the tra and and yeah it was it was something that i wouldn't wish upon everybody but if you're if if something you like do it because yeah. i got to see a ton of places around the country and meet a ton of great folks but mm-hmm, it does mm-hmm. wear on you when did the when did the travel piece get like I think I've had my fill, or, um, or hasn't it yet? <laughs> so from there, and I thought, so it sounds like my travel wore me out. From there, I became, I actually moved into another position over basically all of safety and all of loss control for half the company, basically all the facilities west of the Mississippi. Well, and mm-hmm. so Tyson at the time was around ninety production plants, and about a about. Oh, 70, 75,000 team members. And I had half of that, and I had a few folks working underneath me, but part of my responsibility was to get out and visit folks of and course. work with operations. So whenever they went out to locations, my travel really didn't stop. Yeah. So I did that for, oh, man, until 2007. Then I actually left Tyson technically 
um, as an employee and went to work for Lockton Company as an insurance broker. Hmm. I did that for four years, but I was Tyson's primary consultant. <laughs> okay. So I always say yeah, I spent a lot of time with Tyson and because I did. <laughs> they, yeah. were, they were uh, about 1,700 hours of my 2,200 hours, however you want to do that, hours counting um, sure. for a year. Sure. Yeah, and the and the insurance industry really needed someone that they could specifically assign to that account because yep. <laughs> they're so huge. You yeah, know? and you were a great fit. Interesting. Um, two things I wanted to back up just in case anyone listening, if you and I didn't clarify what PSM stands for, and somebody's new to the practice, it's Process Safety Management, which is a law all on its own, um, which is difficult. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yep. <laughs> it's detailed and difficult. Um, so you're with now an insurance company for a little while. What was the shift like? Or was it not really much different than what you had been doing because you were serving the same company? Um, well, I did. My other part, I had 18 clients total. Okay. And uh, I had two or three meat or food companies, Tyson mm-hmm. being one of them. Mm-hmm. But then I also got into aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into metal found, uh, foundries, metal forging, biopharmaceuticals, um, staffing companies. I got, and what was great mm-hmm. about that is I got to learn, I got to practice the, the craft, but also yeah. I got to learn how to apply it differently because it's, the principles are the same, but yeah. application is so much different. Exactly. And so which of those industries was most intriguing to you? I mean, they're, those are all, they're all fun and interesting to hear about, but were any of them like, oh, wow, this is really fun to learn about this one? Actually, they all were because they all had such different um, applications. For example, metal uh, forging um was interesting but when you coupled that with aerospace because one of my clients was on the on the west coast and they actually actually made things like the shuttle uh rings or they made propeller shafts for nuclear submarines that kind of stuff uh-huh. and it was just absolutely fascinating number one to see how all that process worked but also how specific and exact they had to be because of the tolerances yeah. uh for the types of uh, equipment and machinery that they were making stuff for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So is is this about the time I should be asking you? <laughs> I know I know that you and I have spoken in the past, and you mentioned something about presenting to NASA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know the story, so like I'm kind of like dying to find out what it is. Um, is this about the time that the NASA story comes into play in your career? <laughs> no, actually. So that came oh. that came should out. Should I save it? Okay. Yeah. No, you can you can bring. I mean, it's it's actually one of those things that really I. I, I thought was a highlight because I was actually just traveling back from visiting some plants in 2013. Okay. And uh, I got a call on my phone. It's like, hello, this is Rick. And it was a gentleman who worked at uh, Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, the reason I'm calling you is ever since the Space Shuttle Challenger um, happened, one of the things that the management of NASA really wanted was how do we uh, keep safety management alive and well and keep it in the forefront and make sure folks are focusing on it? And they said the, the agreement was that every quarter we would bring in a different safety person from across the United States 
bring them in and they would present to basically the rocket scientists <laughs> and uh and other folks obviously but they i talked to my boss at tyson at the time and i said to me it's a great opportunity to spread to spread the word about tyson but also um the topic we were presenting was very very um important and that was how to manage safety in a multicultural environment and so I got invited to go down there, and I got to speak for an hour. Uh, another part of the highlight was I got to go through the um, NASA Museum, which was had just opened down there where they had put all the, sh the shuttles that still remained and stuff like that. And then I got it's, to tour. It's so, it's so awesome. I've, oh, been, it was I've awesome. been there for the tour, and it is fascinating. Yep. So that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. Wow. And <laughs> how intimidating was that? Or was it more, like, exhilarating? It was both. I mean, you're sitting mm -hmm. to look across the, the the audience, and you're thinking, these guys have way more education than I could ever have dreamt about. And uh, you can't just go ahead and throw stories out. They they all want it in context, being engineers. And, and uh -huh. so it's like, oh, good Lord, I was scared. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, right? Yeah. Did they ask you any questions? A uh, few folks did, mm -hmm. um, but I had I've done enough public speaking to be able to have some of those questions already asked in my head or answered in my head yeah so when they asked them but it was uh it was a very polite crowd and they appreciated it and i certainly learned from it that's for sure that's interesting i i i, ho I hope and wonder if they're still doing that today yeah I, I don't i hope they are because it's yeah. such a good program yeah no kidding so I wanted to um, ask you about, you had mentioned at some point in your career, you started supervising people. Yes. Um, yeah. And when you say supervising people, you mean other safety professionals, right? So both, yeah, both. When I worked production, okay. I ended up supervising the folks on the line. But uh -huh. as I grew in the safety profession, I took on, when I got to the corporate level, yeah. Um, at, at the height, I had actually all the nurses and all the safety folks reporting to me. Um, and it, when you added it all together, it was like 160 safety folks, uh, reporting through the organization up to me. And then something like f 360 or 400 nurses. Oh, man. But again, I had I had a director of occupational health. I had directors of safety operations, which had folks that cascaded up to them. So it wasn't like they directed to me, but I was over it. And as a mm -hmm. it gets it's challenging, that's for sure. Yeah, I think I think as a podcast guest, um, I'm just going to say you hold the record <laughs> of, of supervising people, um, which is not well. First of all that's a huge number of bodies, yep. but it's also, um, unique in many of, you know, many of the people listening are solo operators Yes. or maybe they have a couple of safety techs or a really small team with them, mm -hmm. but nothing of the scope that you experienced. What was that like for you? Like, how did you, how did you tackle some of that? Did you do some mentoring with some of the safety people or did you wake up every day going, Oh my gosh, I have all these people how am i going to wrangle all these cats <laughs> or what, what was what did you you know what became your 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 thing that you leaned into so actually and i have to credit all my bosses and also the organizations that i was part of um at first it was very overwhelming and, and it was like how do i get my arms around something this large yeah. but uh the companies i've worked for um have all really had a focused 
strategy, business strategy. And what I did is I inserted myself into the business, so to speak. So here's your strategic plan for operating the company. Where does safety play a role? Where does it fit? Mm -hmm. Okay, and inserting it into the business process was uh, how I actually was able to say, this is a strategy. And I could take mm -hmm. that strategy, sit down with my folks, and hopefully communicate it very clearly. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, but be able then they would take that and push that strategy down to the uh, folks at the plant mm -hmm. and then focus on whatever we do, it has to support that strategy. Mm -hmm. So that it helps get, it helps yeah. get the business case buy in. Yep. Rather than being the, oh, that thing we have to do. Well, and I think that the key there is um, not only telling them, here's what it is but making sure that they go out and they communicate, this is what I'm gonna to do to help you get where you're going, but also helping ensure that everybody's aligned. Because the thing I learned very early on is, if you don't have consistency, it makes it very difficult to manage. So we would set up processes, and there was a very large initiative um, in my at Tyson where we basically set up a ton of um, environmental and safety management system processes, which mm -hmm. definitely helped. We had, we started integrating technology and using them to help support our systems. And it was mm -hmm. something. If you're a if you're a safety person, you don't have that right now. If you're a single operator, I do not envy you if you have to try and do this all manually because that's how we did it back way back then. Was mm -hmm. everything was uh, big chief pad and pencil? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and and so true and yeah. so true yeah i mean the systems i mean that that makes it right i mean that made it possible for you to be able to manage that many people because you didn't have to have a okay now what are you doing at this place yep. it's like this is how we're doing it and then people could when they came into those positions they could um key into the the processes and systems you already had in place and and work with their coworkers who were doing the same thing but in another part of the country well, and it's also how do you manage something if you never measure it? If you say you're yeah. going to do something, when does it get done? Yeah, right, right. How do you how do you measure it so yep. that you can make those financial asks? Yep. For among uh, among other things. Mm -hmm. So, guessing with that many people, you also had a budget. Yeah, we had a budget. Um, <laughs> it was quite large at times. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I will say is that the other thing I realized very quickly on. And that is that change is something that you not you have to expect. Don't just sit there and say everything's going to be the same. Because I will say my organization was very large, and it would become much smaller. Then we get restructured, and in a company, a large company, even medium or even small companies, that's something safety folks have to anticipate and make mm -hmm. sure that whatever they put together is going to. Um, be able to be flexible but as far as budgets yeah at at the height it was well into the eight digits mm -hmm. um and i've i've had a very much smaller i'll just put it that way yeah 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 what other than being flexible rick with budgeting which makes perfect perfect sense i've i know i've talked to safety professionals just in the last month who because of um, shifts in their industry have had to scale back mm -hmm. and had to just you know pivot and decide okay now this is what I wanted to do now this is what I'm going to be able to do and and sort of triage what that is 
But when it comes to budgeting for safety, even if somebody doesn't have a ginormous budget <laughs> like you had, um, or if they've never developed one, do you have any tips on where they could start or just some um, best practices that you've developed in your career? I think for me, the key was getting into the fight. When I said I integrated or put myself into the business, Yeah. sit down with your operators and find out what numbers they look at. Mm-hmm. And then you can and see, first of all, obviously you've got some numbers already at your hand. You've got the cost of salaries, benefits, that kind of stuff. So that's your, mm-hmm. that's your I'll call it, um, non-operational budget. You've got some mm-hmm. of those that are always going to happen. Um, but when you look at uh, what actually matters from the operations standpoint, try and find those pieces of the of the budget puzzle that your either your people or your energy and and uh, act, activity fit into. So, for example, mm-hmm. if I'm traveling to facilities to do audits. Mm-hmm. Okay, obviously I budget for travel and I budget for time away, but I also need to budget for things like, okay, I'm going to need a computer. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about, you have to break it down to a very finite level of detail to be mm-hmm. able to put those costs in it. And the more um, granular you can get, the better off you're going to be able to uh, justify those costs. Mm-hmm. If you just say in general, hey, I need $5,000 for travel for this year. Well, when the boss asks you, what do you, what travel are you talking about? Uh-huh. You need to be able to break it down and say this, 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 and this, and this. So, so mm-hmm. you can prove that number one, it's needed and value added. Mm-hmm. And number two, you're just not messing around. There's, it, it, it makes sense and it fits the strategy. Yeah. You didn't pull the number out of the air. Correct. And it fits the strategy. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. So, Rick, you you spent a long time with with Tyson, mm-hmm. um, and somewhere along the way, you earned your CSP, didn't you? Yes, ma'am, I did. You tell 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 the audience about that because <laughs> you know we started out with you marinating chicken strips. Yep. So some education happened along the way. <laughs> yes. How did that How did that work? So first of all, I got my college degree. I followed the twenty year degree program. Um, (laughs) I got my, I did adult education and earned my Mm -hmm. bachelor's in organizational management. Mm -hmm. And then um, after that, uh, as part of my uh, job at Lockton Insurance Brokers, Mm -hmm. my bosses there all had these credentials and they said, you know what, Rick, it'd be really great. It would help with your credibility is if you would go ahead and get this. And I said, okay. So I went ahead and applied, and at first I had no clue how difficult it was going to be, nor how much, how rigorous it would be just to get accepted. Mm-hmm. And back then, when I got it, it was that was like two thousand five, six or seven. Mm-hmm. It was uh, wow. It was very manual still, not like yeah. the the way it is today, but just the application itself took about eight hours to make. Mm-hmm. And then you send it off, and you wait uh, for. It seemed like forever. It was probably only a couple, two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I had the opportunity to go ahead and take a, a couple prep classes and then spent, it seemed like, months upon months upon months studying and prepping and learning how to take the test and finally sat for my ASP. And then mm-hmm. five months later, I did my CSP. So I tried to do it all in one year. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it was, I will say this to anybody listening, guys, if you want a, a credential, if you can get it, get the CSP, because it is definitely worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man. And you were traveling and yep. oh, <laughs> managing yeah. people in a budget and trying to do all that at the same time and have a family. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations Thank on you. that. It's a huge accomplishment. Yep. So... Um, have we missed anything? Are we at present day and kind of I'd like the audience to hear where you are now? So about three years ago, I actually returned to Tyson in 2011. After Lockton? Yeah, mm-hmm. they called and said, hey, you're, we, we never filled your position. Would you <laughs> would you consider coming back? And it just worked out that I could. So I worked yeah. there for another five years in 2016, um, again, because I'm getting up in age and, and the travel was really starting to hurt me. Um, I mm-hmm. was like, you know what, let me see if there's a smaller company. And it just so happened that, uh, my predecessor who, you know, as well, uh, mm-hmm. left the company and there was an opening and they called me and asked me and through a series of interviews and it took two or three months. And then I was able to go, uh, come to Simmons, which mm-hmm. everybody says, well, what's life at Simmons compared to life at Tyson because it's very similar companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything divide Tyson by twenty, and that's what I've done because I've, it's almost worked out almost identically to the number of team members I have now, to the amount of trips I take, to the amount of stress, all that kind of stuff. That's that's uh, how I answer when people say, "So, what's it like?" Yeah. Now the the Simmons is a family owned company, which Tyson was public, and that's a very big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also something that I really appreciate because being a much smaller company, a family owned company, it is something that is just it's like it's a breath of fresh air. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Does it does it feel in a way that a little more flexibility in that um, maybe there. I don't know. Are, do you get to be more creative or is, are there decisions that happen faster because it's just a smaller ship to turn? As far as speed of implementation, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, as far as development, you still have the same questions. You still yeah. have the same challenges that you have to overcome. But once you get, mm-hmm. a, get it, yes. Uh, what used to take me probably a year to implement consistently across uh, Tyson takes me maybe seven or eight weeks Hmm. at Simmons because Mm -hmm. we can, I mean, it's very, because it's so small, you can get a lot of questions answered in a very quick period of time versus having to be spread out almost worldwide and having to answer all those different questions. Right. Were you able to implement some of the same processes you had before or or were you stepping into ones that um, made sense to you? Uh, Both. I mean, my predecessor had done a really good job of, of putting together a lot of processes and I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to take some of my experience and just tweak some of them. Yeah. 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 Shout out to our friend, Darren, who, who had had the position before. Uh, that Rick and I both know. So I wanted I wanted you to share with our audience the internship program you've got going right now at Simmons because I think it sounds so fascinating and a great way to give back to our practice. So, and I think everybody on on the uh, that's listening understand this. Our our profession is not unlike other profession professional careers. We're we're struggling to uh, have folks that can go ahead and fill in the 
fill in the spots as people like myself and even yourself, but I won't consider yourself as old as me, we start to start to go off into the sunset, mm-hmm. so to speak. Well, <laughs> yeah. one of the reasons, uh, one of the nice things about Simmons, they've had a, a good intern program, and I was fortunate enough to get the support from our operations folks to get a safety intern. Hmm. And so what we've done, and I actually, within an hour and a half, have two universities that actually have degree programs, Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and then Northeast, uh, Northeastern Oklahoma State uh, in Tahlequah. And, uh, have, have safety programs. Yes, they have mm-hmm. uh, four-year bachelor's in safety programs. And so I've got a, a very good group to go ahead and consider, and I get a lot of interest from those folks. So anyways, what we do is we, we select through an, a fairly rigorous interview process an intern, and mm-hmm. then they come to us for 10 weeks, and I break them up into uh, that their 10 weeks stay into five different projects. And I assign and I ask my safety folks to pick a project that's going to provide value to the to the intern, provide value to Simmons, and most importantly, help uh, protect our folks and help them help my safety folks with mm-hmm. uh, just time because they mm-hmm. obviously they're very busy. So what we do then is they they for the two weeks are assigned to that safety person. They help complete that project. At the end of those two weeks, in that my safety person and they have to present to me the results of their project, mm-hmm. and that happens throughout the ten weeks. And at the end of the ten weeks, they have to present with all the other interns in the company their report out to our senior level executives. So they get experience. Doing oh yeah, that. and not and and we also provide them with uh, with educational opportunities. For example, like public speaking or budgeting, finance, business finance. Yeah. We give them those courses along the ways. So it's I think it's very beneficial. And, and for this the company, I had an intern two years ago that uh, he was at actually a facility doing his project when um, the safety person at the location uh, left the company. And uh, it just so happened he had already been working there, and it, they loved him, and they said, hey, is there any way that he, we can just slide him into the position? And I talked to HR, and we worked through all those things and ended up that he was uh, being he was able to be selected. <laughs> so, so a good fit for the company. Yep, yeah, and then last year, yeah. and I've had them, like this, the last year's was from Texas A&M, and she was a community health major. And mm-hmm. she lived locally, and she got in. So it's it's something that we really appreciate, and definitely from a from a, a way to support our profession. It's something I'm I am very much a proponent of. Right, and I mean you're giving them some real practical boots on the ground. Not, I mean, in addition to the nuts and bolts of safety, but the things that you're talking about, like presenting in front of a management yep. team and and uh, processes and sim- systems and uh, yeah, budgeting and all of that. Yep. I mean, you don't get that in a lot of internships. That's fantastic. So for people listening, yep. <laughs> we've said Simmons Foods, they have a fantastic internship program if you're looking. <laughs> it sounds like Rick's got a pretty rigorous uh, um, process to select those candidates yep. too. 
Yeah. Um, Rick, I know we were talking about business and budgeting before. One of the things that um, I think you've shared with me in the past are calculations that you've developed and do on cost per labor hour and workers' compensation and what that does for you to, you know, help build business cases for safety initiatives. Can you tell, can you talk about that a little bit? So one of the things that we have struggled and I think our, the industry I'm in has struggled, but also general industry as a whole has struggled. And that is how do you put a financial metric on safety? So one of the metrics that's currently available is your workers' compensation cost. Well, obviously, that's divided out into three basic buckets. You've got your total incurred, which is everything. Then you've got your medical only, which is just your medical cost, if it's below like $3,000. And then you have your indemnity, which includes uh, lost time. It includes litigated claims, light duty, all that kind of stuff, and if it's over $3,000. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is we've said, okay, let's take our total workers' comp incurred cost and let's generate almost like a rate. Mm -hmm. And what we've done to be able to fit into the other accounting metrics that we already currently have, and that is Mm -hmm. let's break it down to how many dollars or how many cents per labor hour worked is work comp costing us. Mm-hmm. And because we also do all of our staffing and, and labor charges that way, but almost down to the line, uh, right. we're able to go ahead and parallel to that and provide them a metric that shows, hey, this is how much is how much this is costing you in your yeah. specific area. And what our ma- and then we do that and on a quarterly basis, we give that number out by location and then update it throughout the year and at the end of the year we give the this is what you ended up at but mm-hmm. what what it does is it causes the operations uh directors which basically the same as a plant manager as well as the vps of operations and group presidents to actually have to say are we doing good or are we doing bad mm-hmm. but the other in your go ahead yeah and you're compare and you're comparing it's it's a it's a line like everything else they're already used to looking at. Yep. Not, and it's not something far. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. And not to mention the fact that it also helps address all these different variables like for example jurisdictional challenges. Yeah. So because mm-hmm. what what we're doing is um so for example if you hire 600 more people. Mm-hmm. Okay? You've got 600 more people's worth of risk. Yeah. And you've got um, all that time that you want to add into your calculation. So, for example, you may, quote, unquote, have more workers' comp costs than you did the year before. But you're also taking into account that that you've worked 40% more work hours than you did before. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. if you just go comp dollar to comp dollar, you can't adjust for all these different things that you deal with as a business day to day. Mm-hmm. So that's the beauty of this metric. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's simply just yeah. take all the all the work hours and uh, divide it into your total uh, incurred comp. That's yeah. it. That's simple math, right? Yeah. Simple, not simple. You know, first of all, the safety people have to get their hands on yeah. that data, which is which is one thing. But you know, be bold and ask for it if you don't have access to it, exactly. because it is it is the thing that you can measure. Yep. Um, with with your with your work now the one that is the one thing I will mm-hmm. caution everybody on because I had to learn this the hard way because I thought we were doing really good 
year to year, and that is if you have any temporary employees or part-time team members that are not assigned to your company, you need to call them or take them out because like a temporary agency covers work comp. They're not part of Mm -hmm. your. So if you're calculating your OSHA rates, your traditional indicators, you include them in many Mm -hmm. cases. But for the comp, you have to separate it out because it has to be just your your uh, employees. Right, exactly. And and it would be wise to not, of course, ignore the temporary or contracted employees. You'd want to you'd want to have that, but it maybe in a different in a different bucket because you'd want to be paying attention Correct. to their safety and their costs as well. And that's where and that's um, where you, you definitely focus on the uh, the OSHA recordability because you, obviously right. you have to put them on your logs if depending on how what your relationship is with the contractor right right smart smart so rick i I know that our our time becomes finite with you as a as a busy as a busy safety professional today and i wanted to make sure that we covered um you've been in this industry you said like 30 years and you've had many changes and chapters in that time and um what would you like people to remember as they're as they're as they're making their changes in their career? Every day, or as often as you can. Uh, well, let me back up. The probably the best thing for me was I realized early on that because of the amount of change and the complexity and how difficult the job was at times, sometimes I asked myself, why am I actually doing this? Mm-hmm. And as a younger safety professional. I had to make some choices and the cho- the choices were actually, do you want to stay in this or in this profession or do you want to do something else? Yeah. And how I decided that I wanted to stay was what are you hoping to achieve? And that for me, that was to make sure that all the folks that I uh, affect go home to their families mm-hmm. each and every day. And I had a, actually an instructor one time I was in a class. I was actually getting my OSHA uh, 501 and he, at the very beginning, introduced, wanted everybody to introduce themselves and said, how many people do you actually affect doing your job? Well, Tyson at the time had 115,000 people. <laughs> and so I just did some rudimentary math. I said, okay, so multiply it by four, which is four point whatever, uh, for how, what the standard American family was. And I said, about a half a million. And everybody looked uh-huh. at me and they're like, what? I said, yeah. And I said, I, every person in their immediate family, I affect by doing my job. And if I don't remember that, then I don't need to be doing safety. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. why are you doing safety? That is probably the most important thing to keep in mind. It's not about glamor. It's not about money because if then you wouldn't be doing this job. It's Mm -hmm. about truly caring about folks and doing the right thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when where and where are you making an impact? Exactly. And, and and if you can't, or if you're not where you currently are, then that's maybe an indicator. It's time to it's time to move on. To, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Why you got into safety? Mm-hmm. Good. Um, Rick, before we close things out today, is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience with? For the folks that are new to the profession, definitely ask ask questions there's no shame no one knows everything we've already mentioned that before Mm -hmm. so please ask and don't be afraid to share either 
because a lot of times people will ask, I mean, and you remember this, Jill, from our time in the, in the same industry, sometimes mm-hmm. people don't want to share because it, people think, well, it gives a negative light. Like, for example, just injury rates or some of the experience that, experiences that we had to deal with, people yeah. were not wanting to share them. Well, you know what? <laughs> to me, then you're not, do, you're not doing what's right. Right. Yeah, we're all in, we're all in the yeah. same we're all in the same boat together yeah. and to help one another and build the networks up. Please build networks up and use them. That's why I love what you're doing, Jill. And that is that this just helps because I wish I would have had this back back in my day, just to mm-hmm. give me some insight and some context of things that I was dealing with. Yeah, and that we're all we're all so similar yeah. in in what we're trying to accomplish and in sending people home. Wonderful. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate appreciate your time, and thank you for joining the podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jill. Mm-hmm. And thank you all so much for joining in and listening today, and thank you for the work that you all do to make sure your workers go home safe every day. You can listen to all of our episodes at vividlearningsystems.com or subscribe in the podcast player of your choosing. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including if it's you, you can contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.